I'm Mick Torres. I'm Ashley Argoda. And we are Mismo. Today, we talked with Tommy Hobson. Yes, we did. You know him from the Fresh Beat Band. We have a really cool Nickelodeon connection. He was shooting that at the same time I was shooting True Jackson, so we talk about all that we learned from there. And then he took a break from the industry to go over to Yale, where he did some amazing theater work. We get into that and the culture over there, how it's different from other colleges. So enjoy the episode. Hi, Tommy. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Hey. I'm going to do this. I feel like a... Yes, there we go. There you go. Are you comfortable? I'm very comfortable. This chair is awesome. We bought the chair for podcast purposes. Oh, that's great. Yes, we did. We upgraded. And it's a write-off. Yeah. It's a business expense. It's a business expense. Yes. Is it, how do you feel? Is it worth it? It's worth it. Okay, good. Excellent. Yes. I, I feel good about the purchase. Dear government, this chair is worth it. Excellent. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled you're here. I got to spend, what was it, six weeks with you? Six last, weeks. Two years ago now, I guess? No, it was... Not last year, a year before. Well, it was, yeah. Two Christmases Two Christmases ago. Two Christmases ago, we got to spend a ton of time together doing Beauty and the Beast. In Lagunia. In Lagunia. Lagunia Beach. We had the greatest time ever. I loved being your belle. And then I went back to Laguna this year. And, and she missed there. me. I missed you so much. I Listen, I... I told you, I was, all year long, I was like, yeah, they're definitely going to ask me to be in something. Nope. Hopefully it's the show in Laguna, because I would just love that experience again. Right? And then, like, I kept seeing people, and, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this show. I'm doing, you haven't gotten your call yet? And I was like, Aww. no, I guess I'm not. Uh, but then I looked at the roster of shows, and I was like, there really was nothing but for me. all that to say. All that to say. I missed you oh. so much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm thrilled I get to actually see you. Yeah. And not text you about all of my Laguna <laughs> adventures. That's <laughs> why so I was sitting here like, let me not, uh, I'll just keep those, I'll keep those close to the vest. <laughs> you two had a beautiful uh, waltz together in that. We did. Yes, we did. Nothing like waltzing in a full beast costume. Yeah. And hoping you support your partner and not drop her. Also not step on her since you have... No peripheral vision. In <laughs> and I was in a huge, I was in the classic, the classic. yellow ball gown that mm -hmm. Belle wears. And I am also clumsy as hell, which you know. I mean, yeah. how many times did I step on you yeah. all the time? It's okay. I'm a little clumsy too. But okay. I usually hurt myself. That's fair. But I spill on other people. Thank okay. you for never spilling on me during our time together. You're welcome. I don't even know where to start with you. <laughs> I have... I have so many questions. Ooh. I have... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm ready. I've got answers. I'm ready. Do you really? Yeah. I don't know. I hope okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, in, I'm an open book. You are? Yeah. There are no NDAs left in my life. I could t you want stories? I got stories. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ooh. He went to the NDAs. Um... <laughs> Well, I guess, okay, let's start at the beginning. How did you, I feel like I know some of this story, but like, yeah. how did you get your start? Uh, okay. Well, I was five and a half, maybe years old. Right. Well, we're going all the way back. All the way let's back. Go. Uh, and I was watching TV and the legend in my family is, because clearly I don't remember this, but right. it's, it's been told to me by enough people that I assume it's true, that I was watching this little boy who kind of looked like me on TV and I was like, I want to do that. Oh. Uh, and I had and I had um, two aunts that were actresses. Um, one uh, did theater mostly, and the other one did TV. So I think I'd been to some sets to see her work. She was also a model, so she was on a show called Sale of the Century. It was like a Wheel of Fortune, Price is Right type morning game show, and yes. she was one of like the hotties who like you know 
modeled all of the right. cool things you were going to win. So I would go to set with her a lot. But anyways, nice. I said, I want to do what that kid does. And nice. my parents, who are not artists at all, were like, oh, yeah, okay, you can do that one day. And I was like, no, I want to do that like right now. And so my aunt, who told me last night that she, she knew when I was two, um, <laughs> took me to meet her agents. They signed me immediately. They said, uh, you know, this may take a while. Don't, don't get discouraged, Mr. and Mrs. Hobson. And they said, like most people, it's maybe even a year before you book anything. So I think two or three months later, I booked my first commercial and then started doing a lot of commercials after that. And then I think maybe two or three months after the first commercial, I booked my first TV guest spot. And then just kind of like, because at the time my mom was off. My sister was two, I think. Mm -hmm. So she was off work still. Uh, and she, it was like a little fun little thing. Let's let this, let's let him run this out of him. And then she never went back to work, which was fine. I don't think she wanted to anyway. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So she, you know, from that point on from six until 18, just worked. I did a lot of commercial work and then did enough TV stuff that it was always like, why do I know you? You look familiar. Did you mm. go to this school? Did you go to, and I'll be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, just because, you know. It was easier that way. Right. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, at 18, I uh, went off to college because part of my deal with my parents was like, this is your extracurricular. Mm. Like, you want this for yourself. This is something that we would be happy for you to have as an adult. We'd prefer you not do it now because there's all these messed up children that we hear about all the time. And right. like, so my mom, much to her credit, read like every book she could find about child actors mm. and tried to figure out like what the... Com, what the what the common denom, common factors were, right? And they all complained about not having a life, feeling like their childhoods were taken from them, and all these things. And so my mom and dad were the extreme opposite. Like, mm. if I wanted to be at the soccer game or do something that wasn't the audition, let's let's make time for all of those things. We okay. want you to have a childhood mixed in with that, and also you're going to go to college, and also you have to have good grades, and your behavior has to be good, and do your chores and be nice to your siblings and all of those things. Right. And this is my favorite thing ever. What college did you go to? Uh, I went to Yale. I can't. Yeah. Unbelievable. Which is funny because that was so far, like, so far removed. I, growing up as a kid, for whatever reason, I was obsessed with Stanford. Maybe it's because I'm from L.A. and it was, mm. like, the like the most prestigious school in the state that I knew of. And so, right. I don't know, but I was obsessed with Stanford. Went up to visit and, like, wore the baseball hat around like, I was like, I'm going to Stanford. That's where I'm going. And I applied to seven schools. Yeah, right? UCLA, USC, UC San Diego, UC Santa Barbara, Stanford, Yale, and NYU. Um, and, I, and I got into six of them, and I was waitlisted at Stanford. And oh. I was like, that's not part of the plan. I'm <laughs> supposed to go to Stanford. Right. Um, and then the last letter to come was the Yale letter. And I applied to Yale only because my best friend was going. And he was like, apply. You'll probably get in. We can go to college together. And I was like, sure, whatever. Just waste my parents' money. And then I got in. And then I went to visit. And I was like, holy crap, I love this place. It looks like Hogwarts. And like, that's all really? I ever wanted in life is, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. beautiful. And I mean, it's, it's, the buildings were all built in like 1920. So they were all made to look like they're from the 16 or 1700s. Wow. But long story short, I ended up going there. Uh, and um, it was great. And my parents to this day, they're like, listen, the universe god whomever like you believe in understands what we need sometimes and my mom was like if you notice you were not rejected from stanford you were waitlisted which means you were qualified to be there but you were supposed to be somewhere else she said let's be mm -hmm. honest if you had gotten into stanford 
would you have even gone to visit Yale? And I was like, no, I would have gone to Stanford. Right. Stanford, great school, does not have a great theater program. I wasn't thinking about that because I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I was pre-med. Yeah, I was pre-med when I got to college. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I had a dream at the end of my freshman year. I'm a lucid dreamer. It's real, it's upsetting sometimes because I know I'm dreaming and I can't like get out of them. Right. But in this particular dream, I was flashing forward through my life. Mm. And I was, all the milestones I was seeing involved me being an artist. Wow. And then I woke up and I was crying and I called my parents and I was like, I have to tell you something terrible. And my mom was like, oh God, hold on. Let me get your father. Okay. <laughs> honey, you ready? Okay. Tell us. And I was like, I'm going to change my major to the theater. I'm going to be an actor. And they're like, yeah, you told us when you were five what you wanted to be. We never meant to discourage you away from it. We just wanted you to like grow up and get a degree. And like, you know, I said, oh, okay, cool. What did you think I was going to say? And they were like, nothing. Uh, and, then, and then of course, years later when I came out, they were like, yeah, we thought that was the conversation we were about to have. Like, that's why I was like, where's your father? Let's like, okay, we're ready. What is it? Oh, you're just going to be an actor? Okay. That's... Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, you poor things. I was so far, that was so far off of my like radar at the time. That... Wow. How long was it from then? Like how long did it take you to come out from that conversation? Oh, it would have been like six or seven years later. Wow. Yeah, I came out late. I started late as well. So that probably is why I came out late. I didn't, I didn't get my first serious like boyfriend until I was a senior right. in college. At the end of my junior year of college, I, of all things, through the arts, I did a play where my character was bisexual. And it was really hard for me in the first couple of weeks of rehearsal. I was like, what is the block? And then the director got us drunk and we ran the show drunk. It's a Yale tradition, the drunk sure. run. Okay. And I was like, oh, a what run? A drunk run. Oh, okay. And I was like, and I just leaned into all of it. And then the next day, she was like, here's the thing. You all, all three of you, did things last night during the run that the show needs. And now that you've done them, there's no going back. And I was like, oh, God. And then I ended up dating my co-star for a while. And then, yes, showman. Yeah. And then, and then I was like, pretty sure you're straight. And he was like, I am straight. I don't know what's going on. And I was like, listen, there's, there's someone for everyone. Sexuality is fluid. We had a couple months where we were very intimately connected. It makes complete mm -hmm. sense. I appreciate you coming into my life because you've started a journey I've been putting off for a long time. But right. I've, I release you back to heterosexuality and I'm going to keep going this way. Nice. Yeah. So you graduated Yale in... In 2004. Okay. Yeah, with, a, with a theater, BA in theater studies, with a performance concentration. I thought you were younger. Yeah, people often do. Yeah. Which is funny because like, um, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but when I worked in Nick, for Nick Lillian for years... They wanted so badly for Yale to be a part of my narrative, uh, which I'm fine with. But I was, but they also wanted us not to talk about how old we were. Yeah. And I was like, well, you can't have it both ways because if I say where I went to school, it is very easy to then find out when I graduated and then yeah. <laughs> do the math right. and be like, he's either a little boy genius or at the time he's almost thirty. You know. Was Yale supportive? We've discussed this a little bit on the podcast, mm -hmm. but was Yale supportive of you getting other acting work outside of the school while you were in school, or was it? Did you have to like wait to do any of that? Until um, you know, I honestly don't know if Yale was supportive or not because I actually met with my agents in LA before I left, and I was like, "Hey, okay. you have a New York office, and I'm going to be an hour and a half by train from New York, right? So if anything big comes up, I can go into the city and." Uh, 
it just became very clear pretty early on that that hour and a half train ride was just not convenient. Right. That like it was fun for like a weekend away. But if I had to do that and then also be like passing classes, yeah, right. it wasn't going to work. I, sure. you know, so I decided maybe a month or two in to just call out. And then I was like, in the summers when I'm in LA, let's try to get work. So yeah, so I don't, I don't know how they would, how they would deal with that. Cause it's not the school of drama. The drama program is like a conservatory. Like it's right. serious and hardcore. The, the undergraduate theater program is a little bit looser you know, it's it's not quite a conservatory feel. What they do at Yale that is amazing, though, is they love. It's a liberal arts school. It's a liberal school. They love the arts. So my parents would love visiting because I'm in an acapella group, which sounds nerdy as hell, but at Yale is super cool. And I was in like one of the <laughs> coolest ones. Uh, I was in a group called Shades, and it was like it was like the minority group. So you know, we sang like R and B and like soul music. Oh, know? I'm sure you were um, amazing. It was, it was it was a fun time. I look back on the videos now and I'm like, look at your little 18-year-old self. You don't know nothing about this. What are you, what are you even doing? <laughs> you could apply for grants through your residential college. They'd give you like 1500 bucks. to, And all you had to do was present receipts. But they had like in, like funds set up to like help you do art stuff. So like if you wanted to do an installation of your actual paintings or your poetry or a play or whatever, like there were the resources to do it. So there wow. was constantly, there are these little theaters all over the school. And every weekend there's concerts and musicals and straight plays and poetry jams so like it was such an artistic community i didn't even really need to be outside of there wow. you know that like a lot of people a lot of my friends like yeah we had our like our fall show and our spring show mm -hmm. and i'm like oh i did six plays my senior year of college wow and like i was sitting there and i was like i said i hope I used to say, this is what I want in life. I want, this is what I want in like my real life when I'm an adult and I'm out of this place. But I would sit in rooms and be like, okay, cool. Um, you know, my, my, uh, my November and December are free. I would love to read your script and hear your pitch. And I would love to read your script and hear your pitch. And then we'll just sort of see like what we're going to do. You know, and I'm like sitting and like taking meetings and people are offering me roles. And I was like, this is great. Like I'm, you know, I hope wow. to repeat this right. uh, in real life. It's taken a little longer in real life to get there. Uh -huh. We're getting there slowly, but mm -hmm. like, I'm like, yeah, it was this, my parents were like, what other world but Yale could exist where like a boy, like me, singer in an acapella group, actor, I'm more popular than the captain of the football team. Mm -hmm. mm. Like, wow. that like, my events cost money right. and we're having to add shows because there's so many people trying to get in. And then you'd go to like my best friend who's, you know, captain of the soccer team go to his games and there's like 20 people in the stadium wow and it's just like it was just it was just weird wonderful weird wonderful place that's incredible yeah so i didn't even think about like being out of campus because i was like everything i need is right right here yeah. and if and if no one will give it to me then i can just write i can write up a proposal and submit it to my residential hall and then maybe they'll give me money and i'll do it myself that's amazing yeah what a school i didn't realize they were so arts oriented yeah. and so supportive of the arts that's yeah. incredible it's crazy there's 14 acapella groups on that campus Ooh. that's fun yeah and y'all were the best ones i mean you know <laughs> we like to think so okay that's right and then there's the whiff and boost of course the world's oldest or america's oldest acapella group so they would be like the top group on campus right. but it's just for seniors i see so were you still there four years even with mm -hmm. transferring uh how how many credits of pre-med had you taken i had gotten you, through two semesters okay yeah so it was yeah. just 
And and the and the good news was I I probably knew somewhere in my mind that like it wasn't really going to work out. Uh-huh. So I was while I was taking all these pre med courses, I was still taking intro to theater. Like I was like okay. you know just in case you never know what right. might turn out. So I'm over here doing chemistry and then running to the other side of campus to sit in a, <laughs> a lecture about the history of theater. You know, yeah. um, and then at the end of that year, I was like, well, thank God I did that because I'm not behind. That's right. Why, you know, which is nice because Yale only gives you eight semesters. Doesn't really matter if they're consecutive semesters. You just get eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. And their graduation rate is so high because if it looks like you're not going to graduate, they invite you to take a leave of absence. And what they forget to tell you when they invite you to do this is that when you decide you're ready to come back, there's no guarantee that you get back. You have to like go before like a committee and you have to tell them what you've been doing while you were gone to like make sure that when you come back, you're, you know, I had uh, one friend who went through that and when he went to come back, he was like, yeah, they told me I'm not ready yet. Oh no. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So he was a year ahead of me and I think he ended up graduating a year after me. Wow. Yeah. I know in the, I've looked at the MFA program and they take a certain number and you're in a class, mm-hmm. like that's your conservatory. Is it the same thing? Um, no, no. They, they don't do the MFA program. They don't do like, even with like, Yale is also the only school I did not audition for. They had no auditions. It was oh, like, wow. you have to get into the school. Uh-huh. And then once you're into the school, you can figure out who you are and what you want to be. But like, we don't have any, like if you're an athlete or something, that helps. But like, in terms of theater, like every other school had an audition. Right. Right. Um, and this one did not. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. But what happens is as you go through, you start off in these giant history of theater classes. And then each year, the classes get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then by the time you're a junior and a senior, one of the things you have to do to be a theater major is you have to take two semesters of a master class where they bring in like special guest professors who are professional actors or you know, whatever directors and they come in and they teach and you have to audition for those instructors. Okay. And then they take like 12 people maybe per semester. And so my sophomore year, I remember thinking, well, crap, what if I get halfway to my goal and then I don't get into any of these Uh seminars? And then I ended up getting into, I think I did two my junior year and, and they were life changing, like really wonderful. Um, of course right now I cannot remember either of their names one of them she was her name was paulina i don't know her last name because it was russian and i never learned how to say it and she's like just call me paulina i was like great but she had the thickest accent and i remember one day we were doing threshold exercises where you know each you walk into a new space and there's a new set of circumstances that you have to deal with and and i was having a bad day i think and she just kept telling me tom today you better have it tom you better have it and i was like (laughs) what and then it took me after a little while to realize she was saying that I was heavy, that uh-huh. like that like I wasn't that I was trying too hard. Something was burdening me, and I was like, "Cool." <laughs> and then I remember the next semester, uh, that teacher's first name was James, and I forgot his last name. But we did another series of threshold exercises, and I ended up he he was such an eccentric man, and he like ran up on me in this particular space. It was like you're you're trying to walk through, but you're past is pulling you back. You're, it's reaching up from the ground and it's pulling you down and pulling you back. And so I'm in the space and I'm, you know, going through and fighting, trying to walk through this imaginary scenario. And he came into the space and started screaming in my face about what was coming behind me, about like, these people are coming and this is coming and these things that terrify you are coming. And then he pushed me back 
like into this imaginary space. I had walked halfway through it and then he pushed me a few steps back into it and he was like, and then he had people come and like grab onto my legs as I was trying to walk forward. And I don't know what I had imagined the demons were, they were pulling me back, but I made it out of that threshold and then I, it was done. And then I ran and I, <laughs> sounds so dramatic. I sat under a table, like in the corner of the room and I sobbed for like 30 minutes. And he was like, let it go, let it go, it's gone, it's fine, we're gone, it's good, we're fine, it's gone, it's this exercise, you're great, you're great, you're great. And I remember thinking, like, this man has just cracked me wide open. Like, he's so great. That was amazing. I've never felt anything like that before. Like, oh my God, how connected was that? That was great. And then um, and then I saw him uh, for our senior thesis projects. We had to put on a play. Depending on what your major was, that's what you did. So I did uh, Fool for Love, uh, Sam Shepard. Sure. Um, yeah, and I, you know, it's a whole half-brother, half-sister who've fallen in love, maybe not knowing initially they were siblings, but then finding out they are, but then they can't quit each other, and drunk cowboy. It was a whole against type thing that I was like, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, in the middle of that rehearsal process, someone asked him to be in their project, and I was like, oh my god, I have to go see this. And I told my partner at the time, my boyfriend at the time, I was like, we have to go, because this is the man I was telling you about who's like changed my whole perspective on it. He just... Terrible. Oh no. He was no. so bad. He was so bad. And I was like, some people are meant to teach. Everything about him mm. that helped us get better, he had no control over in his actual performance. So it was all just like, they did proof. And I remember there was some part where he had to say spaghetti over and over again. He was like, spaghetti, spaghetti. And I was like, oh. And I think I left at intermission. I looked, no. at, my, I looked at my boyfriend. I was like, I can't do this. This is hurting my spirit. Like, I've been talking for a year about how this man changed my entire approach to acting, and I'm bringing you to see him, and... All right. And he sucked. He sucked. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't hear this. I haven't heard from him in 20 years, so I think, we're, I think we're fine. Yeah. You didn't give a last name. You should be all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're yeah. fine. Uh, it just came to me. I'm not going to say it. Great. Don't say it. <laughs> I want to see you do some serious work. I've only seen you in Beauty and the Beast. Um, not that that wasn't that was some real groundbreaking... Deep. You we, know. Were, we were going there. Can hey. I talk about my favorite part of Beauty and the Beast <laughs> real quick? Do. Please go do. back to it. Yeah. My favorite part of Beauty and the Beast <laughs> was when the Beast gets sick at the end. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and you, like, hobble yourself off stage. And I guess... In, what was what was it in the, in the other version of Beauty and the Beast you guys did? There was a better way to... To, to switch y'all, right? Yes, yes, yes. I flew up into the air. That's what it was. And and um, and then like transformed in a in a blackout. Yes. And yeah. in our version... It wasn't that. We... There's no flying up into the no air. No flying up into the air. So we... Tommy had to hobble off stage. Somebody else put on his costume and came back on stage as the Beast. Mm-hmm. And then he like passes out. And I'm like, no... But I love you, and then I have to kiss the kiss the beast mask. Mm -hmm. That was a whole nother story. Whole nother story. And then there's like a weird, like blackout, weird like lighting cue situation, and Tommy in that blackout runs back on stage as if it's been him the whole time, and I'm like, whoa, I can't believe it. You're okay. <laughs> and I uh, tell you that this other man looked nothing like Tommy. Nothing like me. Like. Nothing a like good, Tommy. A good 20, 30 pounds lighter than me, like it was, white. 
Uh, it was hilarious. Which only matters because you could see my actual face inside of the totally. mask. So it's not like, you know. So like he had, the Cedric, the yeah. other guy who was in the costume, had to like come on stage and like just kind of cover cover little, himself with the Little Dracula paw. cape. <laughs> <laughs> it was the greatest part. Anyway, uh, that was my favorite thing of doing Beauty and the Beast with you. Geez. And yes, you've only seen Tommy do Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, well, it... Well, and it's funny because I used to think of myself, like in college, I was very, I was a very serious actor. You know, like I was like, I'm like, you are a I'm a thespian. I'm doing, I'm doing Shakespeare. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing all these things. Um, and, a, and a part of it was also that I knew from growing up in this business, I kind of knew like what the business is. I would love to say was, but is. Um, mm-hmm. And so I also kind of knew that there were roles that would, until I was of a certain level of celebrity, there would be roles that would be off limits to me. And so I also tried in college to like pick things that I knew would not be offered to me immediately. So like I'd play Jesus and Jesus Christ Superstar because I was like, chances are no one's gonna be like, hey, Black Jesus, come over here. Now this is many, many years before John Legend did it on television, but my, but my mom laughed because she was like, that's what you did. You were R&B Jesus. And I was like, yeah, he was not a rock and roll Jesus. He was very much so like, but you know, I, that's so I chose things like in fact, the only role that I wanted to play in college that I could still play now um, was Othello. And it was a whole thing. This is how crazy this this artist community was, though. There is like a dramat, a Yale Dramat Society that does put on like the, the two big plays. They, they are in the, th- the giant theater and those are, you know, on top of the smaller ones that are going on. And uh, this uh, this director pitched Othello to them and they said, yes. Who are you thinking for Othello? And she was like, Tommy Hobson. And they were like, if you get Tommy Hobson to do Othello, we'll green light this and it's done. Like, great. So she comes and talks to me. She's like, I want to do Othello. And I was like, oh my God, of course, yes. That would be amazing. I would love to do Othello. Like, I mean, what a dream, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's great. I mean, honestly, I would rather be Iago. But like, yeah, like Othello would be great. So she tells me I'm doing Othello. I was like, cool. And then they green light the play. You know, give her all the money. They start getting everything prepared. And then she calls me and says, hey, just as like a formality, so it doesn't look like we've done this, can you audition? Mm-hmm. I said, okay. But I prepared the way I do. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. spent time with it, went in, great audition, get a callback. And I was like, cool. And then there were two of us at the callback. And then like three days later, the cast list goes up. And my name is nowhere on the cast oh. list. And I was like what is happening right now? And it turned out that teenagers, well, I guess we were 20, 21 at the time, but it turns out that she didn't want me for the role, but she said what she had to say to get the project to be oh. chosen. Oh. And also that the guy that she chose to be Othello had a vendetta against me because he thought I stole his boyfriend from him. Okay. So it was a whole like, it, I mean, it was, it was insane. I found all this what? out later, but I was like, oh my God, this is insane. I didn't, you guys weren't a couple, I didn't know you even knew this person. I was secretly, I was just traumatized you even knew I had a boyfriend, because I had a boyfriend for like three months before anyone knew. He was a grad student, so I was able to just sort of disappear right. over to that. But yeah, it was, it was craziness. Wow. I forgot about that story. Sometimes. <laughs> so I still need to play Othello is the, uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> is the moral of that story. Yeah, you do. And also, it's really interesting the way that things get done in college, you know, um, for me at USC theater school is similar like you audition for the main shows mm-hmm. like the the 
school shows and then there's all these little independent student-run companies that are doing like smaller productions but basically everybody knows every single show that is happening and anyone can audition for anything mm -hmm. nobody has an agent or like breakdowns that they have to be or be in a certain realm of or level of any of those kind of hierarchy things that go on and then you get out into the real world and now you don't have the access to no. every at half <laughs> a quarter of the things that are happening no. how did you adjust after college to doing all of this amazing great work and then maybe taking roles that weren't as artistically fulfilling that was an interesting journey because like i said i had a really great childhood career like those that 12 to 18 window I have friends who were more successful, but I feel like what I had was great because it allowed me to have the experience of the career I love, and I also still got to be a kid. Mm -hmm. So I'm missing school, but I'm not missing it all the time. Like, you know, you're working consistently, but you're also like a person and a kid and living regular life. So when I went to college, I definitely was like, cool. I kept in touch with my agents. And when I got back, I thought, we'll pick up right where we left off. Um, and when I got back, there was a strike that was happening. I can't remember who was on strike. It was, was the it actors the or the writers. Yeah. And in that craziness, my agent at the time, who was a wonderful human being, uh, he decided to retire oh. and move up to like Napa and like run his family's winery. Like you do. Like you do. So when I got back, I graduated, I come back and I was like, cool, like here we are, I'm back. Oh, Bob's gone. Okay. I'll come meet the new person, thinking like as a formality. And I came in, I met him, and like just the yin and the yang. Like I sat across from him, and I was like, I do not like this person. I do not like how this person makes me feel. I don't want this person to run my career. And, you know, my parents were like, well, then leave him. And so I did, and kind of just had to start over again. You know, like didn't have an agent, didn't have a manager, didn't know how to even get an agent or a manager because I'd had one since I was six and my first manager, my first agent passed away when I was 14 and then knowing she was sick without my knowledge, she had already discussed with mm -hmm. the man who became my agent that he was going to take over. Mm -hmm. Like it was, so it, it took a long time. I ended up doing an acting class with a manager, signed with him. Um, he got me an agent and then I, after like six months was like, you're both terrible because things happen in this world, but the manager's assistant was an older black gay man. And he thought that he had pegged me and that I was like trying to live in some closet. And I was like, it's not a closet, it's none of your business. Um, and so I was only going out for like the queeny gay like friend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. there's gotta be something else I can go in for. I've right. trained to be everything. Uh, and right. I don't mind doing this, but like there has to be, like I'm more than that. <laughs> And he would, and he would call me. Uh, well, I won't tell you what he called me. I'll tell you off what he called me. It was oh. this cute little name for me. But he would also compare me to this actor on this show that I'd never heard of. And it turned out years later that it, he was a gay show. So long story short, I left them because they sent me to an audition for uh, Shakespeare. He's coming up, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and the director of that he, he used to run CBS casting, so they wanted me to meet him. He had left CBS, he was now a manager, he poached me from my manager, and then started me on like the part of my career that started to move a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it took a really long time, and I'm still, I mean, I'm 15 years out of college now, and I'm still struggling with 
with like the idea that like did I should I have left? Yale was great once in a lifetime opportunity, but I was really starting to pick up a lot of speed in my career before I left. Mm. And a lot of the feedback I was getting from jobs I didn't book was basically like the only thing that's keeping you from this upper level that you're clearly moving to is that you're not 18. And as soon as you turn 18 and there's no more set teachers and hours and stuff, yeah. you're going to blow up. And I turned 18 and I moved to Connecticut and mm -hmm. I'm gone for four years. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of friends whose careers now are like miles and miles beyond mine and they did not go to college. They stayed here. And I'm like, that's... And so in those moments when like I'm sitting around, you know, woe is me, and I'm like, God, why aren't things further along than they currently are? I'm like, I wonder if, I, if those four years. I'm like, don't do that to yourself because I don't know where I'd be if I had stayed here. I've got a great family, so I'm not concerned about like my health or dependency issues. I'm just like, would I be acting? I think for me, like deciding what I wanted to be when I was five, as much as you can that I needed to go to college. I needed to have that dream. I needed to have that experience to really know that like, I really do like this. This is not just yeah. something people tell me I should do. Like I have decided for myself that like, I felt crazy my freshman year of college. My emotions were completely out of balance. Like I was like, I don't understand what's going on. Mm. And then I did a play at the end of my freshman year. And it was just like, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was Linus. And for that like month, I was so happy yeah. and so like balanced and focused and centered. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. You, mm. you, you need this. This is so much a part of who you are that if you try to get away from it, you, you just become a crazy person. So I try to remember that. But, you know, I'm a human. So and I just started going to therapy like six months ago, too. So like it's been real fun to sort of right. talk about all of those things that like all the things that you do to cope. You know, that, yeah. like, that like, this is a really hard, uh, a really hard business to be in. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, even when I met my, my partner, like I talked about myself in the third person while I was drinking too much because I was so nervous about talking to him because, oh crap, guess what? After a lifetime of being rejected for roles I apparently have a very like debilitating fear of rejection that actually makes it hard for me sometimes to like talk to strangers, mm. you know, or like introduce myself to the guy who's cute across the room because this other rejection I've decided is not personal and I can handle it, but I cannot handle personal right. rejection. You know, like all these really fun, yeah. really fun things that like wow. now I'm unpacking and I'm like, oh, fun. Thanks, career. Sure. <laughs> Are you unpacking more on the, um, was the four years at Yale the right choice? I, I think it, like I said, I really do believe that it was. Like that is something that like can't be taken away from it. Mm -hmm. And that is something that does when I'm in rooms, does give people are scanning the resume and then they see, you know, Yale theater. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, oh, Yale. Oh, Yale theater, huh? <laughs> and people, New York people know the difference. LA people don't know the difference between undergrad and grad. Mm -hmm. So everyone in LA just assumes I went to Yale School of Drama, which... Like, same class as Lupita. Yeah, which yeah. is, like, very <laughs> prestigious. So uh -huh. like, oh, my God, you went to Yale. What was that like? And I'm like, it was great. I'm going to let you make whatever assumptions you want to make. Um, but I did, I did, uh, I thought about going to Yale School of Drama, but I did not because my junior year, I took a class uh, seminar, and a graduate student audited the class. And then 
I did a monologue. I improvised a monologue. <laughs> I forgot to do the assignment. And I was like, crap, I have to make up this monologue. And I made up a monologue about telling my dad that I was doing the musical Bat Boy and that I was playing three characters, uh, a cow farmer, a like weird pansexual like god of the forest and also the hottest woman in town. And and I and like with like 15 second quick changes that are happening on stage as part of like the joke of the show. And so I told my dad this and I did the monologue of telling my dad this grad student invited me to uh, perform in a show that he was directing at the graduate school. And then I spent my senior year dating a different graduate student and also performing with the graduate school. So when it came time to audition, the dean was like, I think you hijacked our, our education, so I think you can just go out and have some life experience, but I think you're, I think you're set. And I was like, great. Because mm. New Haven, at least then, it's come a long way, but New Haven, Connecticut was not a fun city yeah, at the time, it, which is hysterical. I know you went to USC, and I, and I got into SC, and one of the things that we were con- discussing was like, I'm suburban raised and like a little scary. And my parents were like, I just don't know if you, it's just such, that area of town is just so unsafe. And like, <laughs> I don't know. And then I ended up going all the way across the country to end up in the same situation. Sure. <laughs> it's just wild. That's funny. Now, how long, how long was it from college? When did Fresh Beat Band come about? Oh, um, college to the Fresh Beat Band was, I graduated in 2004. And I think I shot the pilot for the Fresh Beat Band in April of 2008. Nice. Um, so it wasn't a terribly long time. Uh, and then we started filming season one in January of 2009. Did it feel long at that time? It did because I was, I came home and like, I'm from here. And so my parents were like, listen, don't be out in these streets, you know, with some job you hate living in some apartment that stresses you out. Just be at home, you know? And I was like, yeah, my parents are two of my favorite people. They're really great people. So I was like, this is not, you know, like going home would be annoying. So I, I lived at home for four years. I legit moved out three months before season one of the show started. Like mm-hmm. I waited until the show was picked up and then I found an apartment Smart. and moved in and was settled by the time we went into pre-production in December of 2008. And then, you know. Nice. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, wait, what was the question? Just getting into... Oh, yes. Getting... Yes. Did it feel like yeah. a long time? No. Uh, so it did not feel like a long time. Um, in fact, just talking about it right now, I'm like, whoa, that was four years. If I... If you had asked me, I would have thought it was more like six or seven, right. but it, it kind of did fly by. And then after that, life was just, you know. Yeah. What was the What was the whole Nickelodeon experience like for you? It was. I, I tell people it was. It was. It was great in one specific thing, which was, I do feel like I left there with the full understanding of what this means and what it is that like. I, you know, I got the job when I was 25 or 26, so I was already aged out of all of the dumb stuff that you do when you're growing up. Right. So I wasn't concerned about that, but, like, it was my first, it was my introduction into, like, being a celebrity, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Like, thinking about my actions, because someone might see those actions and have something to say about them. Um, Learning how to, like, you know, give coherent interviews, uh, you know, like, walking the carpet and what that means and what that is, and also... My most important lesson, I think, also, like, the responsibility of being the head of a set. Mm-hmm. That, like, there are showrunners, there are directors, there are EPs, creators, whatever. But at the end of the day, the 
the people with the most power over the energy of a set are the leads mm -hmm. on the show. And the first two seasons we did the show, there were four of us, and one of us had some issues outside of the set that mm. would come to work with her. And it was just, oh, it was, it was, I would just come home at the end of the day and I would just be emotionally drained right. because I was the only person who could keep her calm. And so it fell to me to like sense when the, when the pressure in the room was shifting and then try to get her to, right. you know, because her, that, whatever her issues outside of the set were, her venom would go out to the other girl for whatever reason. And then it would just become this crazy thing. So at the end of our second season, she quit. Okay. Uh, which I think she quit because she knew she was going to be fired. Like there was just no, like okay. at that point she had burned every bridge on the set and then also had started reaching beyond our EPs and calling like Seema, the oh. CEO yep. of Nickelodeon at the time, calling her. Is she um, not anymore? No, she's not. Great. No. Okay. No. I didn't know that. No. She, uh, after years and years and years of throwing other people in front of the bus when it was time to fire people to like reset things, like she finally got. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I mean, she was always nice to me. I will say Same. that. She, she was, was always, always very nice. I really, I really yeah. liked her. But there was a moment when I was like, I'm not a business person, but it seems like at this point, everyone's been fired. Yeah. <laughs> and you're the only person left. So yep. what... I, you know, it's yeah. just, um, you're right. I had no idea that yeah. she wasn't there anymore. Yeah. But no, so that, so that in that regard, it was great. But I, I do think that, um, uh, and then we of course replaced her right. and then like came back season three. And that's when I really learned because all of a sudden we only got a six episode pickup for our season three because they were like, we want to see how this energy works. Right. Of course. And three episodes in New York flew out and they were like, holy crap. We could feel the change just from the dailies and we wanted to come out here and, and one of the grips came down from the rafters and he was like, Tommy. And I was like, sup? He was like, I gotta be honest, man. We love it so much here now. The last two years were kind of hell. But like, I said, oh God, you? He said, oh, we all knew. And you, you, you specifically were great about trying to make sure no one knew. He was like, but. You don't know. People on set, even if you don't see them, they see they see everything. And you forget that, especially on a set like that, that like those cameras are on yeah. all the time. And so like even when we're in between takes, people all over Paramount uh -huh. with the, with that feed could yeah. watch and hear everything that we were we were doing and saying. Wow. Um, so like I said, I learned that responsibility. I wonder if I ever yeah. stumbled upon y'all's channel while I was working at Paramount doing True Jackson. Which is funny I'm sure I like just they, sat there and watched you guys they, film. And they talked about True Jackson all the time and I never we Nickelodeon I said Disney's so good at synergy Nickelodeon is not and one of the things yeah. that drove me nuts at Nickelodeon was I was like you have all of these shows you won't let me be on other things. Yeah. You got this whole network full of shows I could be on. If I were at Disney they would understand that. They'd be yeah. putting me on not just Disney Channel shows, but uh, freeform shows, yeah. ABC regular shows, because they would want to build that that brand. Yeah. You guys won't let me go over and be on True Jackson VP because you're afraid that a, a four-year-old might see it yeah. and be like, but wait, that's Shout from the Fresh Beat Band. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now I can't be on these other Yeah. These other shows. And even like when I stopped working for Nickelodeon, I had maybe two two Nickelodeon auditions 
in the last like four or five years that I've been gone. Cause it's still, I think like in their minds, like I've had a few and I've declined all of them. Uh, I've had a, I've had a couple of, of Disney ones and I've gone in and then in the middle of the audition, I've been like, I don't want to do this, this like larger, like I'm in there giving like a, like a prime time read you yeah. know? and the yeah. casting director's like, okay, just remember it's Disney channel. So like, you know, he's the drama teacher, you know? And I was like, I can't, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> oh God. Because now there's something really magical about that kind of job. I will never have a job with a fan base as loving and devoted and pure as that. Yeah. I miss that all of the time. Yeah. I miss just knowing that like, you know, we went on tour, we did concerts, and you're meeting kids who legit are going through things you can't imagine. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm 31, 32 when we were on tour and I'm meeting four-year-olds and five-year-olds who, who have, who are on like the third round of chemo for like this cancer that keeps coming back or like, Here's dad on an iPad because he bought these tickets six months ago, but he was deployed unexpectedly last week and I'm holding an iPad and I'm like, you are in Iraq. That's amazing. Um, thank you for your service. And I'm going to make sure that your child feels so special today. Wow. You know, and I said, so like that, like, that's incredible. I had a very deep understanding of the importance of what I was doing. Yeah. There were a lot of things happening behind the scenes that like, I would just scream from rooftops sometimes. I'd be like, I don't understand. Of course. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. What? You're telling, you're telling me you did a study 20 years ago that told you that kids like this. Yeah. And it hasn't occurred to you that like, we are living in a new age of technology where kids have access at all times to the things they love. And yes, they do love repetition, but they love discovering new things. Yeah. So also like the idea that we couldn't be sad. Mm. That like wow. bad things would happen on the show. And we had to be like, oh, I was looking forward to that. Oh, well, something else is coming now that we're excited. And then we'd be like, can we not, like, live in this for a second? Right. Because it's like, real. That is very real. And we're meeting these kids. And so I know how real this is. Right. You know, and we would actually, I mean, we were all like, we all had a little bit of our thumbs up our butts, too. Because we were like, you know, we're all very serious actors. You know, we all <laughs> come from these very serious places. Right. So we want to sit in a room and talk about our intentions for this, oh you know, and we would do that. And, and we, we drove one director crazy. He was like, just say the line. And I was like, well, here's the thing though. Shout wouldn't say this line. It's a twist line. It's very much so twist. I think we should just swap that out. Wow. He'd be like, it's a kid's show. It doesn't matter. And I was like, it does though, because I wouldn't watch kid shows when I was a kid because I felt like they were talking down to me. Right. I wanted to be in the adult room talking about adult things. Right. I said, so I'm trying to appeal to that kid. Right. That kid who's going to be like, I don't want to watch this because. But I'm sure because you guys did that, that's what made, that's part of what made the show so successful. And, that, and, that, so and a lot of the parents were like, we would watch the show and we, would, we were like, oh, the music is tolerable. And like, we feel like these people are actually trying to give us layers of something. Yes. And I was like, yeah, because these, like, these kids are experiencing things, like I said, that I can't even imagine. But there was a lot of pushback from Nickelodeon about that. I remember my first media training, they were like, how do you feel about being a role model? And I was like, I'm not a role model. Like, I'm just doing a show. Mm -hmm. Your role model should be a parent or someone who's actually in your life. Whether I am good or bad outside of here should not affect you. I have a lot of people whose careers I look to. Mm -hmm. But like, Denzel Washington's personal behavior does not affect my personal behavior. Right. And they were like, uh, no. They're like, please you, don't say things like that. Um, you love being a role model. You're very excited about it. And I was like, mm -hmm compromise 
I understand that it comes with the job. I hope that I do a good job at it. Yeah. But my role models are my parents. You know. That good like, answer. You know. And people are like, oh. I love those Nick 101s. Those were, those were yeah. great. I will say in their defense, though, like, they were like, is there anything we should know about you? And I was like, still so scared. Had only been out to my parents for like six or seven months. And I was like, uh, I am, I am, I'm gay. I have a boyfriend. And so, like, there's that. And they were like, okay. Um, right. I mean, like, how gay, though? <clears throat> and I was like, huh? Because I was like, where are we going with this? And they was like, no, no, I don't mean like that. I just mean like, like on a scale of like one to like grand marshal of a gay pride parade. She said, because we have all of those in our roster. We have people who are gay who don't want to talk about it. We have people who are gay who we've uh-huh. set up to be like the grand marshal of a pride parade. So like, where are you? I was like, um, I'm pretty much in the like, I have a partner and we love to just like sit with our friends and like have wine and giggle. I'm not really, right. you know. With any with any part of that part of my life, I'm not really, and I've become more so now mm. because when I went on tour, I met kids who I could already, like I was like, oh my god, you're four years old and you can't look me in the eye. Oh. And your mom's like, why are you being weird? And I'm like, oh, he's, mm-hmm. it's fine. He's just nervous. It's okay. Hey, come here. Here you go. Let's take a picture. Just so you know, and my my castmates would be like, "What are you?" Gonna? I was like, "I don't know what to do." I just would hold these kids' hands and be like, "You are magical. There's nothing wrong with you. I can't wait to see the person that you become." You know, mm-hmm. and like they'd walk away. And I was like, "I don't know what to do because I know that like right now you have no idea what you're feeling. It doesn't have a name for you yet. Right. But in like 10, 15 years, it's gonna make sense to you. And I hope that you look back on this moment and you're like, "Oh, he was trying to like." Yeah. be like you you'll be okay um that like so much of my career initially i thought even as a teenager i remember thinking like okay well clearly you've got these weird feelings but you've wanted to be an actor longer than you've known what being in love with someone meant so if you have to pick you'll pick your career and you'll just be alone and that's fine you'll have everything you ever wanted and you'll go home by yourself and that's fine you'll be fine and then i fell in love for the first time and i was like how did i ever think that any of this would be any any fun right? if I was alone. I had no one whose career was what I wanted, who I could look at and go, oh, well, there's a person who's like me who's doing, you know. Right. And I do. I've talked to people. I often do wonder if, again, it's like with the Yale thing. I often wonder, like, if being so transparent about it is a hindrance. Um, I do think that sometimes subconsciously people start to look for things because they're like, oh, well, I wonder we'll be able to figure out, you know. But then I have, like, one of my friends, he said to me, uh, he's my one of my dearest friends and also my barber, uh, and he was like, <laughs> uh, and he was my friend first, uh, but he was like, you know, he said, I did a Lifetime movie uh, two years ago, and I was a army vet police detective who was helping, you know, solve this murder mystery, and he's like, you know, T, the one thing I have to say he said, I hope you take this as a compliment. I said, okay. He said, you were so straight. And I said, what? He said, I can't. He said, I can't pass. He said, and you can. And mm. I really hope you understand like how lucky you are. Mm. Yeah. And I never really thought about it. Like I just thought like, oh, I'm an actor. Like this is what I do. I play most of the things I play. I'm not that in real life. I'm not a beast, you know, like I'm not. An what? Army vet. I'm, yeah, sorry. No. <laughs> it's not a, just a lot of waxing. I um, see. <laughs> but 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 that I was like oh wow but it made me like really stop and sort of take stock of the situation and I was like wow I've never really thought about 
how lucky I am that like truly most of the time I do have to tell people. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember being on at Nickelodeon that first year and I only told that one media lady. And then I eventually realized, okay, I have to tell my castmates because we're spending too much time together for right. me to be using all the pronouns that closeted people use. You, you know, we, we, we don't say gender. It's always like, oh, we're on a date and they were great and they were this and they were that. That's how now even, even 20 years removed from that, I'm like, I'll meet people. And they're like, well, I went on a date and they, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Come here. Are you right? Do you want to talk about it or do you want to? Because I, I know what a they means. Right. In terms of that, now there right. is a gender, but mm -hmm. like at that, but like it could also have been just me not wanting to say he. Yeah. Um, but and, but I I ended up telling everyone season two. Okay. Because I was like, it's just we're together all the time, and I can't. It's just too much work. And what were their reactions to it? Um, our wardrobe lady was my favorite. She's like, oh my god, okay. Because to be honest with you, it was something that was discussed because you are so. You, you can be so hard to peg when you want to be. She was like, because mm -hmm. there were moments when we'd be like, oh, definitely gay. And then you do something else and we were like, okay, I don't know again. I, I, have, no, I, have, no, I have no clue. <laughs> I mean, even when I met Wilkie, my partner, uh, one of the other guys in the show, uh, we did a workshop together. One of the other guys was like, honestly, we all talked about it because we were like, we, we have no idea. Wow. He's so middle of the road that he could be either. And I was like... Oh, cool. Great. I, I don't think I knew when I met you. No, probably not. And also when I met you guys, I was so quiet those first couple of days. I was, I was like, oh, God, everyone knows each other. Oh, God. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I thought Riley was a mean girl at first when I first met him. I was like, no! oh, he's going to be a mean girl. Oh, my gosh. No, Riley's the best. I came up to her all nervously on, like, day two because I someone saw a picture or something. Like, oh, you're doing that with my friend Ashley, and she's so great you're gonna love her her voice is amazing i was like her voice is amazing and the next day i was like okay all right just tell her that you have mutual friends it'll be fine hey so uh, i've got we have mutual friends mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like inside and i was, I was like, like why are you talking to me I'm yeah, in, <laughs> inside i was like oh god oh god oh god oh god that's hilarious i'm often that way with just people in general but i don't think i was like i guess i wasn't like that for beauty and the beast because no i knew 90% of you guys and then yeah. I didn't I know I didn't know you personally but everybody was like oh he did the show last year and he's really amazing yeah. and well and, and Sheldon Epps terrifies me we're actually friends same and like I consider him like I've worked with him three times now but yeah. every time I audition for him which luckily I didn't have I thought I didn't have to audition for Beauty and the Beast but every time I audition for him I forget the words like oh, it's happened every single time I've auditioned for him I'll be in the middle of a song and I'm like I'm sorry it is always at the beginning. It's always at the beginning. And I'm always like, can we, um, and he'd be like, Tommy. And I guess he's like, oh, just breathe. Yeah. Just breathe. Calm down. It's fine. I don't know We're if it's friends. because Sheldon is a director. He was our director for Beauty and the Beast. He directed a lot of our True Jackson episodes. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's how I knew him. Okay. And then he was the artistic director at the Pasadena Playhouse. Playhouse for a while when I did a lot in mm -hmm. there, which is where we kind of reconnected. But he... I don't know if it's because he's so quiet. He's very quiet. That it's super intimidating. He's probably he's like one of my favorite directors to work with. He is so incredible. Yeah, he says he's he says very little. So yes. even like as you're doing stuff, there's a part of you like cuz actors as much as we 
pretend otherwise. We are people pleasers, and we do like yeah. we do need validation. And to watch a director watch you completely stone face, stone face, and just stare at you without them being like, "No, oh, that was great. That was great." I remember we did. Um, I was rehearsing the climb, which is a song that I did in in Beauty and the Beast. I thought you were telling me that you're telling the podcast. No, no. I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> you know I did the climb, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I was usually I, paying attention by that point. Okay, sick. Um, what did you sing in the show? Um, I was doing it for the very, very first time. And he, I remember like getting to that second verse or whatever, and I looked over at him, and he's just sitting at the table staring at me. And I literally started sweating because I was like, I sound terrible. He thinks I'm overacting this. I'm sure it's because it's a panto and I'm trying to overact it. I got to pull it back a little bit. Da, 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 da. And I'm still singing, but I'm like staring at him as it's happening. And he was like, why are you, Ashley, why are you staring at me? Continue. And I was like, no, uh-huh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then he had me do it like two more times. And I was like, it's because he hates me. He hates this. I shouldn't be Belle. I can't be doing this. What am I doing? But then at the end of the day, you know, you kind of learn with him, especially like, Less is more. Less is like, more. Like if he's if he's not telling you, hey, you're doing this wrong, you're probably doing it. It's yeah. completely correct. He directed me in Dreamgirls mm-hmm. uh, in twenty seventeen and he was like, Listen, it's a fast process, we don't have a lot of time to speak. So how do you see the character? I said, Well, Curtis Taylor Jr. is I think one of the most misunderstood people in musical theater. And here's why. Wilkie had just, my partner had just finished doing Motown, or was doing Motown the Musical, I think, at the time. No, no, he had just finished doing Motown the Musical. Did he do it in L.A.? No, no, okay. he did it, he was in the original Broadway cast, and about a year in, he was like, deuces, you make me never want to do theater ever again. Six, six, six. Um, so, but, you know, Dreamgirls is loosely based on The Supremes and yep. Barry Gordy. Um, so, what I realized in being around Barry Gordy via Motown the Musical was that Barry Gordy has no idea that he's the villain of the story. Mm. He wrote an entire musical about where the opening sequence is the night of the 25th anniversary of Motown and all these celebrities are coming back to honor him and he's mad because they all abandoned him. Like, I made them celebrities and they left me for all these other people and how, you know, and and the whole show is about how great he was and and it's true. Mm-hmm. But also within being great and changing the face of like music and culture, you also did some shady things. You were not the nicest person. And I said, and, and Curtis Taylor Jr. has no clue that he's the villain of this musical. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's the star of it. He thinks he's the hero. He doesn't know he's the villain until the end of the show when Effie comes back and she's like, I'm suing your ass and I'm taking everything. And then he turns around and Dina's standing there. And Dina's like, how could you do this to her? I'm leaving you. Mm. And then she leaves her, she leaves him there. And he's like, holy crap. I just lost everything. Was I not a good person? So that's how I see it. And Sheldon was like, exactly. Good talk. And I was like, what? He's like, that's what I, that's what I, think and I wanted to know if you felt the same way you said people often play Curtis as this vicious nasty sort of person and I wanted he said part of the reason I hired you for this is that you have a charm that is attractive and intoxicating and I thought what if that pulled someone in you know with the hands sorry I'm doing I'm doing Sheldon's hands hands Um, it's killing me and and I told him I said so 
the first night we had our audience, we had an invited dress rehearsal, and you just I've never been a villain. I walked out on stage, and over the course of the show, every time I went on stage, I could feel how much the audience hated me. Huh. You did your job right. I could feel it. And I walked off stage at the end, and I called my mom and my dad, and I was like emotional. I was like, I don't think I'm doing this right. I don't know what's going on. Like the audience didn't like me. Like when it was time for curtain call, they screamed for everyone, and then it was like golf clap when I came up to battle. My mom said, "You've never been the bad guy before. <laughs> you did your job." Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I kept pushing that, and then I called Sheldon because on closing night, maybe this man came backstage and he was like, "I'm a." You know, subscriber here, Patreon, I donate a lot of money. I've never given a standing ovation to anyone. I gave you one today because I hated you for most of the show. And then when she left you and you stood there, I looked in your eyes and I said, holy shit. He just figured out he was the villain. Mm. And then the way Sheldon blocked it, the lights went down for like a half a second and then came back up because now I'm in a press conference announcing that the group's breaking up and, you know, whatever. And I was like, Sheldon, can you just give me a second before the, before the blackout to have the emotion? And in the blackout, I'm going to turn myself around. And when the lights come back up, I'm going to turn to the audience and put that fake smile back on. And all the emotion will be gone. And we're in a press conference. And now I'm back to the pageantry of, you know. Uh, and the guy was like, yeah, in that moment. And I was like, cool, great. I was like... Okay, I like I like Sheldon. I like working with Sheldon. I like we even with the Beast. He was like, I think there's time to really go deeper with him. Mm-hmm. And we had so we had one conversation about like who we thought he was, you yeah. know. And I was like, I again, I don't want him to be, you know, just like walking around on stage yelling for an hour and a half, and then all of a sudden you didn't have want this. That either. None of us wanted None. that. Nothing. <laughs> Your voice. My voice did not want that. <laughs> That's why. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, they just warned me that there's going to be a lot of smoke in this Hamlet musical I'm doing. Yep. And I was like, just so you know, I'm allergic even to the one that's hypoallergenic. So yeah. please just, yeah. that was my favorite moment. My, not my best moment, <laughs> Mick, but I definitely walked off stage. Our, yeah, I think maybe that's Saturday before we closed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who got happy with the smoke, but it was so smoky on the yeah. Beauty and the Beast stage. We couldn't see each other. <laughs> Yeah. And I walked off stage, and I think right as they cut my mic, I said, Turn the fucking smoke on! <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was spectacular. Yeah. And I hacked up along all night, and the next day I looked at Ashley and I was like, You might have to sing <laughs> without me because of oh my I, God. I did have to sing without you a little bit. And you then did. For, for so long in the run, we the last song we sing together is, uh, and then I saw her face. Yeah, I'm a believer. And it, everything was to track. And I kept making fun of you the whole run because when you <laughs> hear the introduction of I'm a believer, it sounds like it's going to be in one key, but it's not. Yes. And then you hear the the music underneath when you start singing and you're like, ah, oh, man, I was way off. And yeah. I, I would listen to you do it every night and be like, I don't know why he has an issue with it. It's right th- Like, I can hear it. It's right there. And you were so sick on our last show. And I was like, do you want me to take it? I can do it. And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I stood on that stage. I heard that intro play. And I was like, y'all, I got this. I was, I could not have been more you wrong. Been wrong. <laughs> oh, it was great for me. Because I uh, legit the whole rehearsal and then even some of the shows. I was like. And then I saw her face. Like, it was like, <laughs> trying to, 
just the most ridiculous <laughs> jump up, and I felt awful. Yeah. I think at one point I pitched to, uh, I think I pitched to them the idea that maybe I just spoke the opening line and then came in. <laughs> yeah. Now on, yeah. and then I saw her face. <laughs> now I'm a believer. Exactly. 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 <laughs> so I'll act it. It'll be great. <laughs> now. God, we've gotten so way off topic yes, here. Sorry. I don't even know where we were going in the first place. But yeah, we were, we had, we had talked about Nickelodeon. We had talked about who directed you, or oh. what was the show that you did that you won your ovation for? Oh, oh uh, yeah, um, I uh, it was Ain't Misbehaving. Yeah, at La Mirada with um, with um, why am I forgetting their names right now? Oh, the McCoy McCoy Rigby, McCoy Rigby. Rigby. Yeah. Uh, and Ken Page directed it. And Ken Page was in the original cast of mm. Ain't Misbehaving. And so, like, that alone was, you're like, oh, this is special. Mm. And he's directed a lot of these because he does feel like he still performs on his own. He's a brilliant performer, but he's like, I do feel like the four of us who originated these roles, or five of us, because Nell Carter passed, um, but now the four who were still living, we feel like we have a responsibility to make sure that, like, the actual spirit of this show lives on so you're sitting there in the room and i'm so happy he i didn't play his role because i can't you know it's, it's hard enough yeah without the person who originated and he was so great with boise who played the kin track with being hands-off with him and letting him have his own journey but i've never been more i think that's the role that scared me the most in my entire life because the singing of the track is exceptional the dancing in that track is beyond and I just kept thinking, I don't know if I'm good enough at either of these things to 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 pull this off. Um, and Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Polk, who choreographed the show, he choreographed um, Dream Girls, mm-hmm. uh, and he also choreographed a Smokey Joe's Cafe that I did at the Passing the Playhouse mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. He direct choreographed that, uh, directed and choreographed that, direct and choreographed it. Wow. <laughs> um, You're it. So he. He was like, I know you can do this. Mm. And Ken trusted him because I auditioned via tape because I was in Seattle doing that, doing a Lifetime movie. Um, and so on the first day of rehearsal, I was the only person in the cast who hadn't done the show before. Wow. And as they're plowing through the music, I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I have no familiarity with this. We have to actually like take our time and learn it. And then the big number that my Andre's track has is... Uh, viper the viper's drag and it's this eight minute song where the guy's smoking getting high the entire time and he's doing what they call snake hips which was a popular dance in like i think the 20s and 30s so it's very sensual all these like isolated movements and Mm -hmm. i learned it from a tape of the original the choreographer and i went over it together and then i went home and for three nights I took my laptop and I faced it towards the mirror in my bedroom so that we could be facing the same way. Mm. And I would dance with him for like an hour to two hours every night. Mm. And finally, on like the fourth day, the director was like, we're doing a run through. I have to see it now. And I had a full on panic attack. And then I did it. And when we finished, there was silence. And Ken said, all right. And I said, yeah. He said, the best compliment I can give you is that you're ready for me to enhance it. Mm. and I said great so went on stage we did that show it was such a great experience like I said the night uh, of the speech my manager at the time it was his favorite character and his favorite musical and he had been trying for 10 years to get me to do a production 
finally happens. Right after the deal closes, he goes to the hospital with a headache and never comes out. Mm -hmm. um, and then he ended up passing a year or so later from brain cancer. And it was like maybe two weeks before the nominations came out. And, and so it just, it felt like a wonderful validation of me because I was really in, I think my family probably knows this, but I was really, I was in a really dark place right before this happened where I just felt like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of being told how great I am. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of booking things that feel like this will be the thing that changes people's mind and then it doesn't come out or mm -hmm. it does, but it doesn't do anything or it comes out and it's successful, but it didn't matter. And then at the time I was doing, my friends have a show on IFC called Sherman Showcase, mm -hmm. which I'm actually filming this week, um, a one hour special of it. And my buddies were like, hey, listen, just come on. It's like Soul Train meets 30 Rock. We're going to have dancers who are like showcase dancers, but you guys are also like in sketches and stuff. And so I was, it was a four week shoot. We did eight episodes in four weeks. And I was sitting there the whole first week. I shot the opening dance number and then I was on set every single day. And I was just standing in shots, like being an audience member. And I was like, I, I'm a series regular. Like, what am I was like, you know, you're doing it for your friends. You're, you're here for your friends. Mm -hmm. And so the night of the Ovation Awards, I had to leave the set where I was being a glorified background actor, mm -hmm. went there, won, and then the next day, I was like, hey, listen, I have an audition to put on tape. And they said, you know what, don't worry about it. You're only going to be in one thing today, and it was just the back of your head. Don't come to set today. So then that Wednesday, I went back to work, and I walked in, and everyone knows I won at this point. And they're all clapping for me. Mm -hmm. And then I was right back to you know, doing little bits here and there, but like nothing to say, nothing really to do. And it was, and I kept just going back to that. You know, mm. like I was telling Will, because I just kept looking at my phone and I was like, I don't know what's going on in my career right now, but not 24 hours ago, I got the highest level of validation you can get from a community that six years ago wouldn't hire me for anything. Mm. That... I could not get arrested in LA theater <laughs> like, because they were like, what you, we don't even know who you are. And I'm like, I, like I was literally Wilkie Ferguson's boyfriend in the theater community. Mm. I'm on a television series. I'm showing up at his opening nights from set of this very successful show I do, but it's for kids and none of these people have kids. And so they don't care. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I walked into Passing the Playhouse audition for Smokey Joe's Cafe Michael Donovan looked at me and he said, I haven't seen you in a while. You're a man now. Uh -huh. And I was like, yeah. And then that, he hired me that day. And then theater just kept happening. So I was like, I could not believe that in such a short amount of time. That. And then, of course, you're in a, you're in a TV town. So it, did it matter? You know? No. Like I go into theater auditions and people are very impressed by it. Some TV people do know what it means, but like, I mean, even like New York folks, I was trying to get an audition for a play that I originated a role in mm -hmm. and they changed the casting people. And we were like, hey, listen, he played this role in the first production at the Passinger Playhouse. He would love to come back to that role. He'll audition. He just won an ovation award, best actor in a musical and like just never returned the, you know, never returned the email. Mm -hmm. So it has wow. become this weird thing over the last year where like my friends and my family are like don't forget you won an award and I'm like I did and it has it 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 
it has become the thing that grounds me because everything else outside of that has been so trying that mm. I'm like, let me just, and my friends made me, it was upstairs, like in my office mm-hmm. where no one could see it. And my friends like went upstairs and got it and put it like on the mantle in the living room because they were like, you, it needs to be yeah. somewhere where people can acknowledge it. Now is TV and film the, the, the goal for you or would you say theater, maybe both? I'm, I'm greedy. Like I've, when people are like, what's your ideal world? I'm like, I would love to be on like my Grey's Anatomy, you know, like yeah. something of that level. And then like, you know, you film that for six to eight months and then like, you know, I go do a play February mm-hmm. through like June and then maybe, maybe I squeeze a movie in June into like August and then I come back and I go right back into my show. Yeah. Um, that like, Perfect. I don't, yeah, that like, yeah. I don't yeah. want to have to choose. That's the truth. Even like right now, part of the thing I'm doing with all these folks that I'm working with, because I, I started this year with three jobs, was I was like, I will not choose. Mm. So, yeah. Christmas movie. You guys are filming January 7th to like 20th. I have to be back in LA by the 12th. Make it work. Okay, we made it work. Great. Musical. And now Sherman Showcase. There's one week of overlap. We have three days mm-hmm. where I have to be with both of you. Make it work. Make it work. Have you read Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes? I have not, and I need to. My sister read it. This sounds like your, it sounds like your Year of yeah. Yes. I've just been saying yes. <laughs> I started like in the back half of, of yeah. 2019 just being like, my parents were laughing because I'm not even, like, I'm very shy about singing. I always mm-hmm. have been. I don't know why. Me too. If it's character driven, fine. If it's me like at, you know, at like one of those Camp benefits. At, yeah, yeah. Camp Bravo. I'm like, oh, murder me in my sleep. What's yeah. happening? Um, but I've been saying yes to them because I was like, I want... Yeah. The challenge of that. And I'm meeting really interesting and wonderful people doing those things. And like, you know, I was like, yeah, I just got invited to Palm Springs in April to do an event. And the guy was like, listen, there's no money, but they're paying for your hotel for the two nights you're there, all of your food, all your drinks. Like, I was like, sign me up. Yeah. This sounds great. And I only have to sing like one song. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and And my parents are just, I think in... Making my parents proud is very important to me. And recently, I've there there they've been careful recently not to be too like too explicit about it. But I've done a couple of things recently. I think that have caught them off guard, and mm. they're like, we're really proud of what we know it's taken inside of you to do those things, mm. to go do these little benefit shows where you're singing as yourself. We know that's terrifying to yeah. you. Um, I started teaching spin in yeah. October. Yeah. And like had a full on meltdown the first class like that morning because I was like, what are people going to think? Mm. Like, I'm 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 an actor. I'm series regular. I do these like what what are people going to think? And I was like, um, my dad was like, well, they're going to think that you were going somewhere that you liked and you were paying them money, mm-hmm. and now you don't pay them money and they pay you. Yeah. And I was like, oh okay. I just I just I was nervous that like people might think. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I said, like, being on the bike within the yeses, like, the concerts have been really fulfilling. Being on the bike's been so fulfilling. Like, I think I've learned between that and, like, the therapy that I've started, because I'd never been to a therapist, and now I have one, and she's great. Um, but, like, all those things, I think, are making me a much more present person mm-hmm. and a much more vulnerable person. 
it is really nasty sometimes for me because I sit with people. I'm like, oh, you asked me how I was doing and I'm going to tell you the truth. Mm. And then I see their faces get like sad and then I'm wanna back out of it. I'm like, no, 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 I'm gonna go ahead and tell you like yeah. I'm 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 I've been very good for a long time at faking it. Mm-hmm. That like the this idea that like we fake things until we get to the space we want to be in. I'm very good at that. Mm. And now I also want to tell you that sometimes that's exhausting. That I want to be able to tell you that like my career f- is frustrating to me sometimes mm-hmm. because what can I do with? I saw a woman at a party on Saturday and she just sold a show to Fox. And I don't know what the show is. I haven't seen the script. I read a brief summary. But I was like, hey, congratulations, by the way. I haven't seen you since, you know, that all happened. She's like, thank you. So exciting. You're so handsome. You're so talented. You know how talented and handsome this man is? And the whole time in my brain, I was like, will that, will, does that, does that compliment matter? Mm. Will that compliment in some way manifest itself in a way that forwards my progress right. in my life? Or is it another round of, which sounds so to me in my brain, like, oh, cry me a little tears. Oh, how woe is me that, like, people think I'm great at what I do. But that doesn't always translate into a job. job. And often at this point when it does translate into a job, then it becomes, you know, a job where you're like, okay, cool. When I finish that job, I will have the artistic fulfillment that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get the check and realize that I still have to figure out how to pay my mortgage. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, okay, when does that stop? And I told my mom, like, Mm. with 2020, the feeling I have is that I've been in a valley for a long time. And it feels like it's time to come out of the valley. But I realized that I I think, too, I had to learn the lessons in the valley. I think I was avoiding the lessons. And I think now I'm like, let me learn them. And part of it has been, like, since... June, when I started going to therapy, has been like being more open with people in general about what's going on with me, and then also just saying yes to things that terrify me. Yeah. Because, like with Amos Behaven, saying yes to the things that terrify me has more often than not ended with me in a space that's wonderful and different. So, even like, like I said, with this, this Hamlet musical thing, like, <laughs> I was like a little bit. I was like, oh, I wanted to be Hamlet. Mm-hmm. I'm Horatio. Okay. And then I got into rehearsal and I was like, well, first of all, the guy playing Hamlet is, he's amazing. His voice is just special. Do you know Payson Lewis? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, his voice is just magical. Awesome. And it's all just way too high. I would have died and like had like 17 notes, like four songs in. <laughs> um, but again, like scary and challenging. And so trying to, um, I read something at the end of last year that basically said that like if you continue to base success on material things, you will always be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and I was like, that's amazing. Let me save that. I use that in class on my students. But then on New Year's Day, on my on this day on Facebook, I looked back at four years since I since Nickelodeon stopped every New Year's resolution thingy since then, and they were all basically the same. It was a disappointment of a year, but seeds were planted, and in this coming year, we harvest. And in the following year, the exact same sentiment in a differently worded message. And I was like, cool, you have to change this narrative. Mm. So the narrative becomes 
you look at all the things you did in this last year that sometimes I think, especially as an actor, because it's so inconsistent and there is no like point at which, unless you're like, but even those guys, even like the Will Smiths of the world, like people are so excited Bad Boys did well because he needed a hit. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how crazy is it that like you can be Will Smith and you could yeah. be have, you could have your biggest hit ever, Aladdin, come out after years of flops, and then after Aladdin came two flops, yeah, and now you were back to needing, you know, to be validated by a box office. So how do you in this career protect yourself spiritually and like mentally from that ebb and flow? And I was like, okay, there will always be peaks and valleys. Remember in the valley that you're blessed. Remember on the mountaintop that you're blessed. Also try to learn all the lessons in the valley so that when you're on the mountaintop, you will have earned that space and you will also be able to stay in that space because you will be firmly rooted. Yeah. Because you've got the foundation to be there. That like, I've had a really wonderful life and my mom made the joke when I was in my 20s that like I would have a really boring E! True Hollywood story. <laughs> you know, she was like, cute boy, says he wants to be an actor acts as a Does kid, it. goes to Yale, comes home, gets famous. Boring. You know? She's like, you're just getting an interesting life now. Yeah. You know. What do you think is the biggest misconception of being an actor? Um, <laughs> the biggest <laughs> one. Um, or multiple, if you'd like. You know, I was just in Texas filming this Christmas movie, and it was funny to watch people who are not connected to the industry have an experience of the industry. And so they have all these people in this small town. We were in Bryan, Texas, mm -hmm. which is right by College Station, mm -hmm. home of the Aggies. And um, <laughs> they were so wonderful. I mean, we were free food. All the restaurants wanted to cater and so many background actors ready to like come in. But they were like, every time the director would say moving on, they were like, oh, great. What next? And I was like the same scene from a different angle. And watching them sort of go, oh, crap. This is tedious. Mm -hmm. I was like, it is tedious. It is slow moving. It's time consuming. It and it's the repetition of it that like people think. I think that we live in like a you know like a social media reality show sort of world where people feel like, oh, I just like trip and fall into this career and I'm gonna be great at it. And it's like the people who there are those people who do, you know, God bless them. Lee Kardashians have made an entire career out of one of them being really great at sex. But like they've, you have to you have to respect at least the fact that like their mother was able to exploit that and spin it into this multi billion dollar like thing. But for the most part, people who shoot out like cannons disappear because mm -hmm. they haven't earned that space. And so I think with acting, people think it's easy, and they think it's fun. They think that award shows seem like fun. Let me tell you what's <laughs> terrible: award shows. <laughs> The red carpet is anxiety-inducing anxiety and terrifying. If you're nominated for an award, you're just basically sitting there trying not to poop or pee yourself <laughs> until they say your name or don't say it, and then you have to either be happy or pretend to be happy. Mm -hmm. Like, And that so many people do not get to do it. Mm. That's that the, the, like, the hardest, the biggest misconception is that you'll just come out here, you'll audition, and like you're going to book something. And I'll sit down sometimes and be very much in my feelings about how I'm not booking the things I want to book. And then the person sitting next to me, my dear friend, will be like, I haven't had an audition in eight months. I'm not trying to like 
crap on your bad time. I'm just trying to give you some perspective. Perspective, totally. You know, and I'm like, yeah, it is a business that that forces you to like always be looking ahead of you. And all you see ahead of you are all of the people who are doing the things you want to do. And someone last year said to me, do you ever stop and look behind you? And I was like, no, nah, I'm trying to climb this ladder, son. And they're like, no, just every now and again, stop and look behind you. Because there are so many people who are looking up at you, trying to get where you are. Yeah. And, yeah. And, that, and, and yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I go like to my conservatory that I went to, Amazing Grace Conservatory here in LA. I'll go back and like talk to the kids. And they're like, oh, it's, it's, he went here and he's on the Fresh Band and he, and I'm like, what? And they're like, they know you. They grew up with you. They want to be you. And I'm over here like, but I don't know. My friend is in a move. Like my my college uh, my college boyfriend last night won um, won a SAG award. Wow. And and I was like, that's insane. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you. And also, which makes me feel weird, but like I've just learned that it's human nature. Mm-hmm. I was really envious. Mm-hmm. I was already envious of the show that he got to be on. And the role he got to play on that show while also being completely over the moon for him because he's struggled and worked so hard to get to that space. Right. But then all of a sudden, I was like, I voted for you and you won. You have a SAG award. Holy crap. Wow. And, and you couldn't go to the SAG awards because you're already on to your next adventure, which is this really wonderful big budget biopic. And you couldn't, you had to film Monday morning so you couldn't be at the show last night. Huh. But I told my mom, I said, what I realized is this is a business that does, it does bring out the green-eyed monster in you. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I've just decided for myself that I give myself time to sit in that. Mm. That ignoring it has not made it go away. Right. So instead, I will give myself, if it's a part I lost that I really wanted or whatever, I will give myself 30 minutes at a minimum to have whatever feelings I want to have about it. Last time I tested for a show, it took like two days, but I was like, Fair. You know, yeah, I was like, but you have Fair. to sit in it to process it and remove it. Yeah. It's not about you, which is true. And you, I know you both have sat on the other side of the casting table as well. And like, mm-hmm. it's really great. I say any actor who has not had that experience should have that. Yeah. Because because it really isn't you. It's not you. Well, I was going to ask, in addition to looking forward and looking back on the ladder, do you ever zoom out off the ladder? And there's a couple ways to do that. One is by being on the other side because you see, I want to go up to actors after an audition if I'm ca- casting and producing something and say, you were so good. Yeah. And you should go out and celebrate how good you were tonight. You're not right for this and you're not yeah. going to get it. But feel really good about what you did. We're all very excited about you, but we can't tell you that because yeah. you didn't get the job. You didn't get the job. You know. Yeah, and you have to, and that's the thing is that you walk out of the room, and it's hard to, like I've walked out of rooms and like crushed it. Yeah. And then like no one calls. Yeah. For even like a callback, and I'm like, oh okay, and I'm like cool. So my friends like, we just have to know. You just have to walk out, and you have to know what you feel. When you were in that room, but you do everything you wanted to do, and then you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. I went in for um, this movie. Oh, I forgot the name of it, but Regina King is directing it, and it's based on a play. And it's Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Jim Brown, 
and Sam Cooke, and they were best friends. And it's the night before, it's the night that Muhammad Ali wins the heavyweight championship and then becomes Muhammad Ali. And they're in Miami. It's called One Night in Miami. That's what it's called. Um, and I went in for Sam Cooke. And I've played him in musicals. I've been in for two biopics, now three based on this man. I've done all this research. And I said to my manager when she got me the other, she said, go in there and kill it. This is your part. And I was like, they're going to hire Leslie Odom Jr. Why are they sending me through this? And she was like, what? I was like, it's 13 pages of dialogue. It's three songs. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do what I do. And I'm going to hope that like the casting people at least see my performance for what it is. But they're going to hire Leslie Odom Jr. And she was like, no, no, no. He's probably busy anyway. And then two weeks ago, they announced they hired Leslie Odom Jr. And I was like, yeah. Like, he's hot right now. He's stupidly talented. And his voice is very Sam Cookian. Like, so, you know, why not? Yeah. You know, but then I also realized I have to stop doing that as well because I'm so busy trying to anticipate rejection mm-hmm. that I start trying to to soften blows before they even come my way. So I'm like, oh well, you know, there's this project I'm supposed to do, and people are being a little bit cagey about it. Which you know, if I had to, you know, listen, it's a movie, and like they probably want someone who's famous to be in the world. I mean, I tried to pitch them on casting famous people around me. Because they could have me for a whole month for cheap and like get a famous person to play this big supporting role for like one week and then be gone as opposed to having me for a whole month. And and I was like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm already anticipating and putting out into the, the universe the energy that like this experience is not meant for me. But mm. I'm like, it's, what do you do? I'm literally just trying to, to protect my heart. I've noticed there's so many, such a connection of um, mindfulness, meditation, yoga. I mean, I think Mm. because we're in LA uh, and because acting happens in big cities where that is really happening. And then this industry, which makes it so difficult to stay mindful and present because it's so naturally competitive. Mm. Is that something that you're um, working on? talking about therapy a little bit yeah i think that's been the greatest revelation for me about therapy and therapy came about because i was at a friend's birthday party on saint patrick's day in 2019 and someone said how are you and i was tired and i think i was just in the middle of some crap and i just unloaded on my friend and he looked at me and he said do you have a therapist and i said no he said i think you're very close to a breakdown and i think that you need to speak to someone he said there's nothing wrong with you but I think that like you might need just to be able to sit down with someone and just, he said, everything you've just said to me is so valid. He said, and I told you two years ago when my two best friends got divorced and I ended up like standing in the middle of this mm. hurricane of craziness. And he was like, I told you then that I was concerned. And so with the therapy, what I told her on the first day was I was like, part of it is I am so lucky and I have had such a better time than 90 percent of people that go into this industry I know that mm-hmm. sometimes I want to vent about my frustrations and I feel like I go into spaces to vent and I do get a lot of well listen at least you and I was like I'm not I'm not trying to one-up you I'm just trying to have a moment yeah like I'm allowed to be upset I'm allowed to I'm allowed to be concerned that the peak of my career might be a kid show I did and that's not my dream Mm-hmm. That's not what I dreamed about when I was a kid. I'm appreciative to that experience. 
I loved that experience. I wouldn't take that away from myself. Mm -hmm. But if that is the peak, then I will not be a fulfilled human being because that's not what I dreamed of doing. So now I'm trying to, and, and you know this, and I know I, that's why I listened to Matt's podcast as well. And I was like, the idea that like when you leave a show, did 60 episodes of Fresh Beat Band, I did of the live show, and then I did 20 episodes of the cartoon spinoff, and I did 308 concerts across America, and I think 85% of those were completely sold out. Mm. Venues, we started our first tour at 1,000-seat theaters. By the last tour, we were, uh, we were doing like 10,000-seat venues. Like it Oof. was, and it, I, it's wonderful. It's been so great, but like I told someone, I've performed at Carnegie Hall, and I was dressed as Shout from the Fresh Beat Band, standing next to Jason Mraz and the rest of my ca castmates, and I wasn't allowed to have the experience as myself. That I've done 20 sold-out concerts in New York City, some of them at the Beacon Theater, some of them at the Madison Square Garden Theater, as Shout from the Fresh Beat Band, not as myself. Like, I've had these really amazing experiences that I want to repeat as myself. And, and, and sitting in therapy, I talked to her about those things and she's like, you are in a fucked up industry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yes. And it's nice that like, you're not in it. So yeah. I can talk to you about it and I can say every little petty thing that I want to say. And I know that like your response to that is just, that is valid. You are allowed to have that, that feeling, yeah. that emotion that like, you know, that like. Even like one of the guys on the, sh the other guy on the show, he and I are really, really close and he's killing it right now. And every time I see him, he's like, dude, can't wait to come see you play. I just, I don't understand what's going on. Like, you're so great. And I'm like, I thank you. Yeah. Most it's of my always life, meant as a compliment, but yeah. I feel like, I feel like when people say that, I never, I never feel like it's a compliment. Yeah. It just and, makes and, me. And most of my life, I've like been shit. a hard sell. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a black I'm a medium, light brown, black kid who grew up in, like, Upland, California. You know, very suburban, very, like, sheltered. would go in as a kid for stuff. The reason why I did mostly commercials is I go in for TV, and it was, like, young gangbanger, number seven. And I was like, mm. I'm going to steal your drugs. And they were like, no, you're not. You're wholesome. <laughs> and, then, and then when the tide sort of started to turn with Barack Obama being president, all of a sudden I started to see more, like, young professional black men on television but i was in nickelodeon mm -hmm. and then i got off of nickelodeon and people were like what well, can you ask i was gonna Fine. that's one of the questions i wanted to ask you was that after nickelodeon did you have trouble even getting seen for mm -hmm. more serious roles yes yeah i would i went into in new york i went into uh i went to nbc to meet with nbc and i was like listen my god what better for law and order svu than to hire the kids show star with all of this that comes with that and then twist it, pervert it. Like he's actually the bad guy, you know? Yeah. And they were like, oh, that is a great idea. You're so wholesome though. I had one casting yeah. director tell me that, uh, she said, you honestly, you surprised me. You came in here and I thought this material is not, it's going to be too like urban and street for him. Mm -hmm. You killed it. I'm not going to hire you because there's a hundred guys coming in today who live in this space. Also, I saw you went to Yale. My daughter's applying. You have any? Uh, oh boy! Uh, um, so yeah, so there was there. There has been. It still feels like there is, which is why there's been so yeah. much theater recently. Which is why there's been yeah. so many like indie films and yeah. digital series. It's such and, a hard space to get out of. Yeah, and then like I thought, like 
I thought I had, I, I did Dynasty like a year ago mm -hmm. and it was supposed to become a recurring thing and I was very excited, flew out to Atlanta and they had two small scenes in the first episode and they were like, yeah. And I was like, oh, the way this is playing out, I'm pretty sure he's going to be like Alexis Carrington, Nicolette Sheridan's like mm -hmm. valet, but like maybe even like her confidant. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what they were setting up and then never went back. She got herself, I think she got herself fired, but also she did not, she didn't, she did not like me. Oh. And she'd probably be surprised that I knew that, but I've never had someone be as nice, nasty to me as she was. Like everything that came out of her mouth sounded like a compliment, but the energy was like, wow, like, oh, aren't you handsome? Oh, you're so good. They didn't even care that I didn't get my line right in that, but I guess it was your cupboard, so it's fine, you know. But I came back from that trip and I was like, this is it. Major network, yeah. recurring, you'll do maybe like three or four of these, and then pilot season's coming and you'll be like, and then like yeah. never went back, you know? So it's just that, how do you keep the joy when even like the experiences that should be joyful can be reduced? Like yeah. I'm, I'm doing this, like I said, I'm doing the Sherman Showcase thing right now. And I thought based on how well season one went, once they got to my scenes, those first few weeks I was like WTF, but then the last two weeks, all of my stuff came in and I was like, this is great. Very well received when it aired. Came in for this and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to have a lot of stuff to do. And I have one character I'm playing and I film it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and, and it is a significant character. He's in like three scenes, so that's great. But one of my buddies was like, oh, I'm playing five characters. Hey. And I was like, oh. And the wardrobe lady said, yeah, you, you were playing like three or four people. And then like every time they would send in a new cast list, one of your parts had been given to someone else. You know, and I was like, oh, okay. Okay, who, you know, so how, so how do you, and that's what me and, me and Claire, my therapist, are working on, is like, how do I allow myself to pressure release without it taking over? Yeah. Because yeah. I usually ignore it and try to pretend like everything's okay. Hmm. Do you have any interest or have you ever created and produced your own stuff? Well, it's funny. My dad was just talking about this yesterday. My dad has been telling me for years. My concern is, I don't know if I'm a writer. Okay. I have like come up with ideas for things with friends. We I filmed a pilot presentation like a year and a half ago for a show idea that I have with a friend and we sat down and he would say dialogue and I would type it and then I'd be like, you know what, that actually nope, let's just if we take this and we flip it and then I, I add this from over here, that's actually a more cohesive story. And then my friend one of my other buddies was like, Yeah, you have a producer's mind. Mm. He was like, whether you realize it or not, you've been a professional actor for 31 years yeah. and you have absorbed all of that yeah. from around you and you should maybe start doing more of that. And I was like, cool, I would love that. Um, even just as a way to just be creative while I'm waiting for other people to, yeah. to let me. I just came up with a movie idea the other day and my buddy was like, this is great. You should write it. And I was like, well, I'm going to tell my friend who writes and yeah. I'll let him sit next to me and we'll... You know, my buddy just wrote his first feature script and he was like, I couldn't have done it without you because he would send me as he finished scenes, send them to me. And then I would send them back to him with X's crossed out and like new lines written in and like, mm -hmm. this will connect that if you do that. And he was like, that you're good at that. Yeah. I do need to try writing. I wrote a lot when I was a teenager. I told someone the other day, they didn't know this about me. I'm, a, I'm actually an award-winning poet. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I, I, I won awards for poetry when I was in high school. Uh, and, I, and I'm published in a book somewhere. I don't know what the book's called. Uh, 
But I realized we're gonna find I, it. This is really weird, but I told my therapist I stopped writing after I came out. Interesting. That after I came out, whatever was trapped inside of me that had to get out some way stopped, and mm. I've not sat down and and tried to like tap into that sense. Wow. Which is craziness. Interesting. It is in there. The writer is in there. I just need to sit down and like make myself do it, even if that just means that like. Like the Christmas movie I just did, the ladies soft pitched me my own Christmas movie. Mm. Um, and the idea is great. And then she wrote a 3,000 word like treatment of it and then sent it to me. And I was like, I could do that. Yeah. Right. Like even something treatment. that simple mm-hmm. where like I'm like, here's the idea. And now maybe someone can help me put the meat on the bones. Yeah. Um, cause, because I, yeah, it's, 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 it's pastime. And I, and I do have, and I think that's part of the thing that happened with Sherman Showcase. And, like, I didn't realize that the setup of the show was that, like, people sit in a writer's room and pitch ideas. Right. And some stick, some don't. So when we were talking about this special for the last few months and my friends were like, we're going to get, you're going to have so much stuff to do. We're so excited. And then it came time. And then I got a text out of nowhere one morning to myself and my buddy Devere. And it was like, hey, here's an idea. A spoof of CNC Music Factory from like the '90s. You both as like the male dancer singers in it. Where does it go from there? And I was like, "Oh, that's hysterical! Definitely sign me up for that. I can't wait to put on a vest and like a Kangol hat." And Devere was like, "That is hysterical. I think that because they were always were kind of gay without being gay, the song that we sing should be a double entendre." Uh huh. Mm. And, and, you know, like, and then he came up with the idea for a song. I think it's like, I want you to be my main girl. Mm. <laughs> so that in the, so in the scan of the song, it's like, I want you to be my man girl. Um, and then they started riffing on that. And then by the time I picked my phone up again, he had sent over like a scratch track of like him singing it. And the, our friend who, you know, was the creator of the show was like, that's hysterical. This is great. And I was, and I texted Devere on the side and I was like, oh my God, was I supposed to like, I thought he was just telling me what the idea was. Right. I didn't know that I was, he was like, oh yeah, that's how this thing works. I already sent him like four, four pitches uh, that they're doing in the room now for like sketches that I think would be great on the show. And I was like, oh "Oh my God, I didn't, I've never had to do that. I didn't know that that's what we were doing. And so then like a few weeks later, he pitched me another idea that hopefully will be in season two where we would spoof the Fresh Beat Band. Oh, Wow. And, Excellent. But, but but this time I was ready, so I was like, "Oh yes, and we could do this. We could do this. Also, this was my the, my catchphrase, so we could do that to end it, which would be a wink wink to the folks." And then we could, and I and I was like, "Okay, like I didn't like I'm so wow. used to like people being like, here's what it is, right. and I trust you to like mm-hmm. make it make great the words come to life." That I Hi. didn't even it didn't occur to me that like I was supposed to pitch myself. Mm. Like, so now I know. Like hopefully we get a season two. Like this special is supposed to be the thing that. So season one was, I mean, the show was on almost every, like, reviewer's top shows of the year. Oh, um, wow. The lead on the show, it was a tiny little show on IFC, the lead on the show was up for a Critics' Choice Award for Best Actor in a Comedy, like, wow. you know, and, but they said basically, like, it had a bunch of viral moments, but the ratings were not great. Okay. Mm. And I said, well, here's the thing. It is a show about, like, a Soul Train type show. Which means that it is being geared in comedy that like will appeal to African Americans who maybe don't know where IFC is because 
not a lot of black people were watching Portlandia, you know? <laughs> um, so, like, it was this really crazy phenomenon where, like, after our premiere, there was a song on the show called Drop It Low for Jesus. And so it's, like, beautiful choir song, but then also, like, a little strip or anthem, and they're all, like, twerking and winding. And the internet lost it. The internet was, like, half the internet was, like, this is the funniest thing ever. The other half was, like, whoever made this is going directly to hell. Like, <laughs> this is terrible. And then people started sending it to me, like, Girl, have you seen this? Have you seen this bitch? Oh my god, bitch! And I was like, I'm. This is my show that I'm on. If you pay attention, I'm pretending to play the piano in the back of this <laughs> as a little wink, wink, nod to all the Fresh Beat fans who would who who did get it. I thought no one would get it, but like the night it aired, people were on Twitter like, I'm so sorry. Is Shout from the Fresh Beat band playing the keyboards in the back of this? <laughs> you know, number. Um, so we had a lot of moments like that, but it didn't necessarily translate to. So now it's on Hulu and, you know, all these things. And, like, this special will air in June. And it's going to air across, like, multiple networks. It'll be on it'll be on IFC, but also be on AMC and, you know, different. But, yeah, but it, so it brought back again the idea that, like, I need to start taking the baby steps into that space of. And I, and I think, and this is, again, goes back to the, the spin instructing and what's been helping me so much on the journey is, like, I am a by nature a competitive person and I want to be great immediately at everything and things I don't think I'm going to be great at immediately I often will find excuses not to do and I'm sitting in these classes and I'm telling these students I'm like you have to yes there are people who get shot out of cannons and end up way ahead of you a lot of those people end up taking steps back because they did not do the work to earn that space Mm. what I am learning and what I'm coming to terms with and learning to embrace is that my progress recently has been baby stepping but it's slow and it's but it's steady and that means that every time I put a foot down I've learned the lessons done the work to earn that step and so that is not just about like major things it's also like the micro things like if I want to write something I can't expect to sit down at my computer open final draft and produce you know the usual suspects on yeah. my first try I have to allow myself to Make some crap, but just get the ideas down. And that, for me, is the hard thing. Is, like, not just the idea that I could fail at it, but what happens if I sit down and nothing happens? But I've got some time coming up, once I do my taxes, where, like, I'll have time, and I was saying my partner's going out of town to um, associate musical direct a new, a new musical for, like, two or three months. So when he's gone, I can't use him as an excuse to, to not do things. So... Okay. You know, after I finish procrastinating by cleaning up the entire bedroom, <laughs> I, will, I will then like it, it's time to at least, like I said, get the summary down. Yeah. Of of the ideas, my buddy Devere. One of the things I really we've only been friends. We met two years ago at a party. Ended up on Sherman Showcase, the pilot, and we were like, "Hey, you friend!" And then that whole year, he was just booked and blessed all over God's green earth. And I was like, I saw you on deadline, saw you on deadline, saw you on deadline. Like, oh my God, how amazing. Um, And then we came back together last year to do season one of the show. And it was just like, oh, this is a magical instant connection. Like, Mm. you're my friend for life immediately. This is going to be awesome. And he is in the process now of pitching. He has two shows he's pitching. One has just been picked up by a production company. Uh, It's a really big, great company. Now they're doing the network meetings. The other one is almost signed to a production company to start the, and he's just like, yeah, I have these ideas and they're great. 
and I wrote them with my friend and his friend happens to be on a really good hot streak right now of acting and he's got a movie coming out with Dave Bautista in March so oh, wow. it's like and I was like cool okay so you were basically like working on stuff you wanted to work on while you were also doing these other things and now like it's all kind of coming together at the yeah. same yeah yeah and he and he's 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 like I'm a, don't worry I got a role for you and everything I was like don't don't, don't play don't with my that. I, said, yeah. I know how this business works mm-hmm. But it, you know, it is. He's he means it. He's very he's he's great. But I was like, I I do think like, even with like this movie idea that popped into my head, I was like, oh, I have to talk to him on set on Tuesday and be like, hey, listen, this is my idea, and like, where do you think we can go with with this idea? What I like about it is just the power that it gives you to be able to be productive when you don't have anything going on. You don't have to be at the mercy of you know, waiting for somebody else to hire you and allow mm-hmm. you to work. Have you ever read uh, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? No. That sounds great. Yeah. Maybe I'll give you, a, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Borrow my copy. Okay. It's just, it's it's a great, um, if you just need to sit down and write and begin, it's just a good kind of a kick in the ass to just do that. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, that sounds great because even I was, I was, uh, like I said, I was listening to the show and I was like oh man like how cool like you were like oh I want to produce this play with this guy and I don't know what to do and I probably would have just said nothing uh, I would have been so scared and I would have said nothing but I was like oh and then you know Mick's like okay I'm gonna help you produce One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest and then also I want to be was it One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah. yeah and then also like I'm, I would like to come in and audition to be this part like create this opportunity for yeah. Myself. And what my, my mom said to me a couple of days ago over the phone, she said, this is the year, Tommy, when you have to stop being scared to ask for what you want. Good. Mm. Yeah. That like, she said, you're always so busy trying to do things the way they're supposed to be done. And then you end up being left behind because you're not just putting yourself out there. You're not just yeah. being like, hey, hi, what's this? What's happening? Can I be a part of this? You're like, oh, well, you know, I, I just, I congratulated them and like, you know, and they were like, well, you should, like, we'd love to have you on. And I'm like, great, yeah, let me know. And then I'm just sitting at home, like, they never called. You know, and she's like, oh, yeah. so you like that as a kid. You'd be like, oh, they're all going over to so-and-so's house. Seems like fun. And she was like, well, did you say, can I come? And I was like, no. She's like, okay, well, that's how all those people ended up hanging out together. Was one of them said he got a new video game. The other one was like, oh, I want to play that. Can I come over? Yeah. Mm. And you were waiting for one of them to be like, Tommy, do you want to come too? As instead of going, hey, can I come too? Yeah. You know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I have to. It's a little bit of the shyness in me um, that like I just have this idea that like I'm just going to be really great at what I do. And then like people will know that and they'll just, you know, mm-hmm. and like that's not how life, not how life for me at least has worked and not how this business seems to work. Not anymore. Me neither. Not anymore. I think you have to be great at it and you just have to keep like shoving it in people's faces yeah. and so they can't forget. Yeah. And that's and that's what I realized like on social media, you know, if you, if you follow me on social media, I think I accidentally have given off the impression that like I am like just killing it. Cuz I talk to people like, "No, no, I haven't seen you, but like every time I see your Instagram, you're on a set somewhere." And I was like, "Was I?" Was there a hashtag TBT on it? <laughs> you know, it's like the same way that like a couple years ago when I was making Nickelodeon money and I was always posting vacation pictures and you all just thought I was always on an island somewhere, but like I just took a lot of pictures. 
I yeah. kept posting them in the cold months to remind myself. You love a flashback. Friday. How happy I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I will say this just to full circle it, especially with Nickelodeons. And I, I said to someone today that I used to make a lot more money acting and I was unfulfilled by the acting that I was doing. Mm. It's like, and now when I get to perform, I'm so enriched and fulfilled by the experience. So now we have to marry the, 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 the financial part of the job I didn't love with this new space. But I do think that for me, kind of like with going to Yale and figuring out for myself that I wanted what this meant to me, that the last few years since Nickelodeon have been once again about reminding me that this is who I am and that I love this and that it's fulfilling to me. When we finished the show, the Fresh Beat Band, and they were like, concerts, cartoon, live show, you're done. And I was like, great. You guys said maybe two seasons. And that was in the, the spring of 2009, and now it's the fall of 2015. Holy crap, this has gone on way longer than anyone expected. The cow is dust now. There's, no, there's just powder coming out of those udders at this point. And then I sat around and I thought, what do I do now? And my first thought was, do you like this anymore? Mm. Mm. And I was not sure. And I went and signed up for acting class, went over to John Rose and Phil Studios and started like at square one intro class, worked my way through. And like a year later, John looked at me and he said, you like this again? And I said, what do you say? When I met you, you were so uncertain. You did not know if you wanted to do this anymore. He's like, I think you found it again. And I was like, yes. And I found it in the challenge. Mm. So now getting the challenging roles to make sure that the mortgage stays paid. That's like, but I think I had to go through that to remind myself that like, I liked it. Cause it is kind of like painting by numbers at a certain point when you're on like a show, like totally. a fresh beat band or even like a true Jackson VP where like, there's such a finite there's amount a of formula. Yeah. Kind of just, you go in, you know exactly what you're going to do. What's expected of you. You do I wasn't it. even taking my scripts home. Yeah. After like season, halfway through season two, I realized this is back before people just like, I don't know why, those poor PAs who would sit there till like midnight and then have to like deliver a script to my door. And I, they and never I, did that to us. They just emailed it to yeah, us. Well, finally I was like, you know what? I don't need a hard copy. Yeah. I have the email. And to be honest with you, I don't look at it. Yeah. And the other was like, I don't look at it. Well, because you learn, like you get the script for table read, you do it at the table read. And then like, if there are any changes, there's just asterisks next to everything yeah. that changed. So then you just look for the change and then you're like, all right, cool. I know it changed. Oh, we're yeah. done. Oh, but like season one, I'd wait up like 1 a.m. Yeah. They would be like, what am I doing? What's like, happening? Okay, okay, all right. It's not yeah. that. And then but by, when you get used to the formula, then you're like, all right, cool. Yeah. And like I said, again, completely grateful for that experience. And that's not just words. I really am. But yeah, I'm sort of like, the things I, I watch, everything. The things that I watch, I'm like, oh my God, those are the, like, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm just waiting and praying and hoping for the person who, like, sees me as the multi-dimensional like human being that I think I am and and just lets me run with that you know I so said there's a project I'm supposed to do in May and it would be in terms of challenges on screen probably the most challenging thing I've had to do where I would have to stay in a certain space for four weeks and really go into the psychology of this person and I was just like I'm so scared all the time that like 
something's gonna happen where I don't get to do it because I'm like, I just want like that experience where someone gives you something that meaty and it's just like, go ahead. I think, I believe you can do this. And the people who are making it believe I can do it, the concern is that the people with money might want someone who has a bigger name, Yeah, you know, which I, which I respect and understand. But at a certain point, I'm like, how do you become that person if no one takes a chance on yeah. you? You know, I can't, I can't get that major credit if I keep losing out on that major credit because I don't have that major credit. You know, I went in for a Netflix series like two years ago and the casting director was like, I'm obsessed with you. I don't know how I don't know you. Send me everything about you because the network thinks that they know who they want. But I think it's you. And at the end of the day, they, I didn't even get a producer session. And he was like, I don't understand except that they, they know this guy from another show. It turns out that guy was a friend of mine. And he did a phenomenal job, <laughs> uh, which also helps, I think, in this business. Like, if I can vicariously live through someone else, I will. And so, like, a lot of the, if I lose a role and it goes to someone that I love, yeah, then it becomes like, okay, great. I didn't get this, but yeah. you did. And so we're going to celebrate it. We're going to watch it. I'm going to call you and say how great you are. And won't even tell you. That guy doesn't even know that. That they that like the casting people were trying so hard to get me his job. <laughs> but right. I'm like he did yeah. so he's he's great in it. So well, I hope I hope you are able to marry marry that um, that artistic fulfillment and that mortgage payment. I hope it happens soon for you. Thank you. It's it's so I miss being a kid in acting. Yeah, yeah. Because there was such a purity to it. It was really just for fun. I had no concept of what money I was making. Yeah. I didn't know until I turned 18 and my dad very excitedly was like, you leave next Wednesday open because you and I have an appointment. And I was like, okay. I just want to help my friends, dad, I'm going away to college. And that Wednesday I went, we drove from Upland to Culver City or Century City, went into this tall building and I sat down across from a man named Dan and Dan was like, hi, it's nice to meet you, Tommy. I'm Dan. I've been managing your money since you were six years old. And now's the day we talk about like going forward, what your dad and I have planned for you that we need you not to mess up. (laughs) That's amazing. You know, I'm like, but, and that was my first moment when like acting was more than just joy. And I'm like, I really wish. I used to tell my agent, like, I don't care how much money I'm getting for this. Just like, you know, let me know when the contract's done and I'll just sign the contract and it'll be fine. And I had to learn. Yeah. Years later, they were like, you can't actually say that. Like, you actually do have to, you do need to know the business behind it. And this is more than just like a fun thing you get to do yeah. sometimes. Like, you got to know. It's just, it just competes with the size of your brain. You know, like the business side of acting conflicts with the artistic side of it. Yeah. But I do think I, I am, as I said, now that I'm slowing down and I'm really, really trying to appreciate the space that I'm in, I'm like, you are moving steadily in the right direction. And that, that thing is coming. And in the interim, you're learning a lot about yourself and you're also expanding your own life to make sure that like you can support yourself until that comes. And I'm also super freaking lucky that, I mean, if you count the training, the the spin instructing, this is really the second time in my life that I've done something that wasn't acting. Mm. And the first time was I had a part-time job at an ad agency for like eight months. 
And that eight months led into the Fresh Beat Band. And I mm. quit the job two months before I got the Fresh Beat Band. You know, I was like, so whether you're on the mountain or in the valley, hey, blessed. The bike's not a valley? We should get a workout in sometime. <laughs> well, that would be great. Come oh on. I need, I, need to, I need to, now that I'm on the bike yeah. and done with the training, I have to get back to my lifting. Because oh, yeah. I lost, Have fun, boys. I lost, <laughs> I lost so much weight during the training. I lost twenty pounds during the training. Whoa! I don't know from where, because everything pretty much fits the same. Um, but yeah, so now I'm like, okay, it's time to get back to the, the lifting. So we okay, can have good. a nice. Like, I want to be, I want to be lean, but I also like, of course, want to feel, yeah. you know, have fun, boys. Want to feel strong. My new gym opens in March, so come in. Come on. Throw some barbells around. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, barbells, know, bro. Squats oh, and gosh. lifts. And <clears throat> All right. What a beautiful way to wrap up. Uh, <sighs> Ashley's going to go pump out some kettlebells right now. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Do some kettlebell swings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yep. Hey, yep. bro. You know it. Yep. Hey, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs>